My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And my name is Meg. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. Anamorphology. Everworld Edition. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The end, The Secret. The Android. The Forgot. The React. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Exposed. The Departure. The Sound. The Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Extreme Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. Everworld 8. Brave the Betrayal. Yep, those are waveforms. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Alright. Brave the Betrayal. Everworld 8? Eight? Eight. Eight? We've done, this is the 8th one. We yeah. are three quarters of 60. the way through. Oh, wait. We are 75 two thirds of the way through. 60, I was right the first time. We are 66.6%. You <laughs> so close. Two full cycles of the kids. Our four narrators. Back to Jaleel. What do we think of this one? They're walking a lot again. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is my pitch to you all is that this is the best two book sequence of Everworld so far, Ooh. having yes. okay. number seven and number eight. This was definitely better than Jaleel's last book. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think, like, the thing that I liked most about it is it seemed to juggle, despite in, it's doing the mythology of the week, um, but it managed to juggle several threads from previous books mm-hmm. at the same time, which I appreciate mm-hmm. because I have wanted more of that serialization. That's a good point, yeah. And at least this time they're walking with a purpose. I was going to say, I feel this is the first time that the kids have a solid goal that they're working towards, and they, like, run into problems that aren't just, like, random problems out of nowhere. They run into obstacles to make it to their goal, and they, like, think their way through, and they work their way around them. And it felt like they were moving with purpose instead of just being attacked by the plot. I agree with that. I was still a little frustrated. Like, it's definitely, I'm on board with the statement that this is the best two-book stretch. Really appreciate that they have, like, a long-term plan. Like, there's something overarching that, like, is connecting the books now. Mm -hmm. All the adventures in this book felt like they didn't matter. Like, they were just like, I don't know, throw in a random civilization, and it will impose some obstacles and just delay them on their path to Egypt. But, like, it didn't feel like any of the specifics of the things that were happening really mattered to any story larger than this book. Mm -hmm. And I still don't like hanging out with these kids enough to make having this random adventure, you know, sort of Animorphs discover the Andalite toilet in Area 51 style. Like, that, these kids aren't fun enough to sell that sort of, like, pointless diversion stuff. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It It was okay. I still... I still feel like they, they're they a, a couple levels below what they could be doing. I can see that, yeah. I do kind of... I mean, I, I don't think any of that is really wrong in substance. I do kind of feel like the these stories did push the characters and their dynamics into new and different ways. That's fair, The yeah. ending with, like, Jaleel and David and Senna and all of the drama there was, like... 
at least different than what we've seen before. Like mm-hmm. for the first five or six books, it was just like, and Senna shows up and no one can do anything about it. Right. And yeah. here, like the power <laughs> dynamics were at least a little different. Right. Like maybe the stuff with the, um, these specific like gods or whatever didn't really matter or won't matter, but like mm-hmm. the, there was some character stuff. That's, that's really true. And yeah. we put together like some more logic pieces as to how Everworld might work. Or at least yeah. we raised some particular questions about the travel between here and Everworld. Like Jaleel brings up that when he gets knocked unconscious for like just a bit and he wakes up in the real world and then he comes back, that the time he experiences is quite short, but it took almost mm-hmm. an hour. So he starts raising questions mm-hmm. about where do we travel between Everworld and home and why does it take so long? Hmm. And I feel yeah. like he, he brings up a couple questions that, I feel our mysteries they might investigate or like answers we might get just because of how they were worded. I'm like, oh, this feels like a setup for something that could be answered later. But I see a look on Ted's face (laughs) and Gray and Jenny's. But (laughs) wait, I do have more thoughts about those things. But should we, Meg, do you want to tell us what happens in this book first? So Everworld 8, Brave the Betrayal. Uh, starts out with Jaleel checking out a girl, Miyuki, at the Taco Bell when Christopher gets kind of shoulder-checked by some of his copy store friends from before. Um, But there's no time to dwell on that because we are back in Everworld for our exposition chapter, our road so far. Um, Our kids are still in Olympus. They're going to talk to Athena um, about this whole issue that they're dealing with with the coup hatch. Because uh, they have a prisoner, Kuhatch, who is kind of bringing the demands of his people to Olympus. Zeus can't send the Kuhatch home. We find out only a mortal of unusual and great power can. Senna is one of them, but Senna suggests that we go and talk to her mom, um, who is a priestess of Isis in Egypt. And I was like, great, we're going to get the Egyptian pantheon. Oh, ho, ho, not so fast. We have a bunch to travel before we go there. First off by chariots. We can't just ride on the backs of horses because they all hate Santa's guts, um, but we can take a chariot ride down and through the city. This was a pretty intense action sequence um, that was I thought was really fun to read. And at the end of it, Jaleel is again very drastically injured. He has a whole burn like through his side and everyone's cut and slashed up and everything. This burn doesn't come back again though. <laughs> I'd forgotten about it. You're so right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, he's knocked unconscious just long enough to scream a swear word in the hallway at school uh, and get everyone's attention. And then he wakes back up in Everworld and swears again. But like, this is the moment where he's really starting to think about the time difference. Uh, and apparently the horses talk. No time spent <laughs> on that, though. Here we go. Um, ju- uh Oh, okay, that word says biomes. Um, we're, we're walking across the land of Everworld and theorizing about how we can move from such different uh, lands. And April brings up the very good uh, analogy that it's like a quilt. And Jaleel just makes this line. He's like, I wasn't surprised at how good it was. Like, her analogy was, I was just surprised that I wasn't the one that made it. Um, They run into a pack of lions and a black man named Eshu, who we will see throughout the book. Um, So he's a black man in a loincloth with a really tall conical haircut. And 
uh, he sicks the lions on them, and Jaleel wakes up to find himself being devoured alive by a lioness. Uh, and it's horrible. And I write here a classic Apple Grant scene. Apple Grant scene. <laughs> um, he's like seeing his inner organs be wrenched back and forth, and like all of his ribs are exposed and everything. But he keeps his cool and he logics it out to be an illusion. Uh, so we um, keep traveling through the African plains with Eshu coming along behind us, and we see like different towns. We run into uh, a couple different traps or obstacles along the way including but not limited to april getting trapped in a nightmare about being burned alive by the sun being captured by spider demons tied up in webbing and supped in a tree that gets set on fire but the coup hatch get us out of that and um as she keeps trying to prompt the crew to make a sacrifice one by one the kids find their own personal reasons why they're not going to sacrifice uh you know, they're not going to make a sacrifice to these gods. And it was very funny that, like, the reasons they each had one by one, that, that's something we'll get into later. Uh, Jaleel realizes, talks to Senna and realizes the coup hatch are following them. And he confides this in David. And David's like, oh, I know. They end up going to the coup hatch together, uh, where David's artillery obsession comes in handy. And he gives a lecture on weaponry. And he tells the coup hatch how to improve all of their artillery. We set up camp, uh, hereby dubbed Camp Porcupine, by making a bunch of sharpened stakes to set up a perimeter around the outside. We're chased out of it almost immediately, though, um, by a living lightning storm. We end up in a mud pit, we slide down this huge hole, and we come into the upside down. Like, literally the upside down, where uh, gravity is not reversed, but our perceptions are. And as we're wandering through, we meet a group of Vikings that we know from the first book. Thorolf is back. Thorolf has died in Everworld, but because he died in the uh, territory of the Orisha, which is these particular African gods that we're uh, interacting with, uh, because he died in the land of the Orisha, he was claimed, with along with his men, as a sacrifice. And so they're trying to find a way to honorably die again so they can get to Valhalla. Um, and we do interact again more with Ishu and the Arisha. We find out there is a gigantic tree that is, has its counterpart in the real, I was going to say the real world, but there's a gigantic tree that has its counterpart in the right side up ever world. And we decide to kill the tree because Senna's blood, it turns out, is poisonous to living, growing things. So the final confrontation takes place at this tree where uh, David knocks Senna out with excessive force. Um, and then there's this great battle sequence where gravity keeps getting turned on and off and flipped up and down. But finally, um, we uh, bluff our way. Well, we don't bluff our way out. We threaten our way out. We're going to kill the tree if they don't send us back to the real world. They finally do. All of the Vikings succumb to their original mortal wounds. The Valkyries come back, and we get a heart-wrenching reprise of the Battle <laughs> Hymn of the Vikings. Uh, and we send Thorolf and Co. off to Viking heaven. And what do you know? We never even actually made it to Egypt. Uh, 
and there is a quick sidebar that I forgot because when we're back in the real world, that Miyuki girl from the first chapter, she and Jaleel are having a study night. But it gets interrupted when Christopher is getting beaten up by some Nazis in his garage. Jaleel intervenes and they decide to call the cops on them. And so that's something that Jaleel and Christopher are dealing with in the real world while all of this Everworld nonsense is going on. That's Brave the Betrayal. Yeah. Wow. It's funny how, like, you're like, oh, right, that Nazi interlude. That Nazi I forgot. Man. It <laughs> what was so book. unimportant, but also what? For uh, me, it was the whole chariots and horses thing. Completely forgot about that. <laughs> horses, horses. Um, yeah, and uh, not only that, but uh, David suggests that the Nazis attacking Christopher are a sign that Everworld is leaking into the real world. And yeah. I was like, how is... No, that seems like a real-world occurrence that could happen. Um, and he brings up the example of that woman he assumed was a maid in... Was it his first book? I think his it was the second, second book. book. Okay, yeah. and he's just like, oh yeah, probably coincidence. <laughs> and this time so- he's like, maybe it's not a coincidence. The woman who was outside, like, that house on Lakeshore Drive or whatever, um, that was clearly an Everworld connection. I am so baffled as to why they would think the Nazis pursuing Christopher is an Everworld connection, unless they're just, like, some sort of weird energy is getting through and affecting things. Like, I hope it's not that, because that doesn't really make sense. But, like, what is the other option that, like, the Nazis are in the pay of everworld people don't understand it and i refuse to take it seriously (laughs) i've got nothing here yeah i i it's so clear to me that they are setting something up but none of the like breadcrumbs are leading anywhere for me yet i am intrigued by the idea of the kids diverging from their like the two selves diverging yeah that was another really cool idea yeah when jaleel is talking to david he's like oh this david feels different than the David I know in Everworld. And that is such an interesting question. Like, yeah, they're getting the memories, but like the self that's staying in the real world doesn't really go through these things. Does it not get affected by them in the same way or to the same extent? Something that may connect on with that is when, and this may just be nerves, but when Jaleel is trying to ask Miyuki out on a date, uh, the way it comes out was not the way he planned it. And I get that maybe nerves from talking to a girl, but like he asks her and he's like, that's not what I planned to say like at all. And it reminds me of um, something David brought up where again, he was snapping at somebody. This is in a much earlier book. He's like, I was snapping and I was moody in a way that I don't really feel like I act. So the kids have commented a couple times about how their real world selves feel different from their ever world selves. Yeah, I like that like his real world self did all the planning for asking her out, but then the ever world self showed up and he decided to go through with it anyway. And that's fascinating, the idea the ever world self would have changed that plan through his presence. And to me, it, it suggests that if Senna dies then what would happen is the link is severed and Earth mm. Jaleel stops receiving any updates, but Everworld Jaleel continues again without receiving any updates from Earth. So 
it maybe Senna is the only way they could ever cross back entirely, but it seems like there's two of them that are sharing memories and that if Senna was gone, then they would just diverge and there would be forever two Jaleels that would never be connected again. Or maybe it's more like, um, I don't know too much about this, but like sort of the doppelganger legend, like this idea that Mm -hmm. like someone can steal your real self and put sort of a fake version of you into the world. And like, it's often like they'll keep your real self in a mirror and the fake version will be in the world. And um, at some point, the fake version will just die. And, oh, it'll be so sad. Um, But that's because it was never intended to last forever. And it wasn't really real. And you'll just be trapped forever in the mirror or wherever. And so I wonder if it would be more like that, where something about Senna's power as a bridge is keeping these real-world versions alive, even though maybe they're not the whole person or the real... Like, they're just sort of simulacra of the people. And if Senna died, then the bridge would break and they would just seem to die natural deaths in the real world what if we find out that the sorry this is more conjecture but that the everworld versions are constructs that like see and feel and record what's going on they're like my brain's giving me the word simulacrums and i don't think that probably because i just said that that's gotta be it (laughs) um but that the ones back home are the, quote, real versions. Mm-hmm. And they're just mm. like very fancy data gathering probes over in Everworld. <laughs> I feel like that's less likely because we're in the heads of the Everworld kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's just narrator bias on my part. But I feel like getting the points of view implies in a literary tradition way that like these are the real people. Well, it's also unclear, I guess, before I let myself get carried away by the implications of all of this, we don't have any evidence that it's anyone, that this has ever happened to anyone other than our four heroes in this instance, right? Like, it's not the case that, you know, Galahad and real Galahad were in sync for a while and then real Galahad died and myth Galahad has been going on for, you know, indefinitely till the dragon ate him. Or like that there's old world Zeus who was, you know, who cast his projection into Everworld or something and old world Zeus still exists. You know, like there's no evidence that that something like that could happen. Mm -hmm. It might have happened to April and Senna's dad. (gasps) Oh! Whoa. Um, you think Senna's mom did to him what Senna's doing to these kids? Yeah, I mean, I guess... Ooh, I so like Senna's that. mom lives in Everworld. I don't know if Senna's mom is also a gate. It doesn't sound like she no, is. No, no, she is a gate. Like, that's why they're finding her, so she can okay. be a gate for the Kuhatch. So I had a question for you all about that. Jaleel says that when Senna's talking about her mom in this book, he can tell she's lying, but he doesn't have an idea as to about what. Do you yeah. have theories? I think that Senna has a goal in finding her mom that is different from wanting the Kuhatch to go home. Either that or... She did try to kill the Kuhatch, so maybe she actually doesn't want her mom to let... I don't know. There's, I, I, that's a long I way of saying I think her mother is Isis or another <gasps> Ooh. another deity or something. I think that's the aspect of the lie, that she's not a priestess. She's actually a god. I want to know how Senna knows this stuff. 
Because mm. if that her she, mom is priestess yeah, of Isis? Like, if she was raised in a, you know, suburban Chicago family by her dad and stepmother, at what point did she understand that she was a witch? How did she get training and how did she figure out who her real mom was? Like... I don't think she went to her dad and was like, why do the horses always bite me? And he had to explain <laughs> yeah. it to her. He's like, well, it turns out you're a witch. Uh, you're a, totally you're a witch, honey. Has Senna always been able to travel back and forth to Everworld? Does she no. have... <gasps> okay, okay. The priestess of Isis is not her mother. It's the Everworld version of Senna that's always been there. She knows all of this stuff Whoa. because the Everworld version of her keeps giving her updates in her head. So, so is that why there's no... Is there a Senna in the real world? No. No, right? no she, she's like been ran missing. away. Yeah. Okay. So, oh. so the real world Senna and the Everworld Senna are now both in Everworld. But maybe it's a which came first, the chicken or the egg situation. <laughs> and so which she came first. first. Thank you, thank you. I was like one second behind the rest of you, but we all got there. She calls the Everworld version her mother because that Everworld version was first. And maybe this Everworld version tried to escape and only succeeded in like splintering a piece of herself off and sending it to suburban Chicago. I think even if that's not true, Senna probably has been learning a lot through dreams. She said Mm. something in like what maybe the first book about like having dreams that are like a glimpse of another world or something so even i i, I like the theory that like we're gonna meet another version of senna that's cool but even without that i think she's probably been mm-hmm. getting info dumps and dreams that makes and sense. she gets a big power up in this book she now can lay on the whammy yeah. without use of hands and she's able to divert like a whole river out of its course we also learn that it exhausts her her newfound uh-huh. powers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, there's some stuff with her and Jaleel. Yeah. Uh, he sees her naked on quote-unquote accident. He's like, maybe she wanted me to see that. And then later she does a huge, like, angry Galadriel apparition to him. But she makes herself naked in that illusion as well. Yeah, it, the the love me and despair thing, that, that is a bit angry Galadriel. Yeah. <laughs> like, she kind of hits him with the... With the lust whammy and like the worship whammy that David mm-hmm. was under, um, which I don't think was something she'd really done to him before. Right. Mm-mm. His they definitely to have her a before... contest of wills yeah. going on. His connection to her before was was um, in regards to the OCD co- stuff that she like suspended while they were in the real world yeah. and then put back. I'm still really baffled about how the existence of magic or like being in a magical place seems to cancel out OCD because brain chemistry doesn't exist in magical places. Like it's, what? It's well, not that does real fit brain. Max construct theory. Yeah, it's not a real oh. brain. It's a construct body, Maybe. which gets burned down to the ribs, and then that's never mentioned again. Bringing up again Ooh. my theory that. Yeah. Their wounds are being healed, but they either don't notice or they're being deliberately brain whammied to forget their, like, super egregious injuries. It's weird that they haven't, like, we're eight books in, 
if the thing where their injuries get like magically erased were going to be a thing, I would have expected it to come up before now. But yeah. maybe it's just a long game. Or maybe they're just really sloppy and everyone gets concussed every two minutes and we don't care. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, I think it's that. I think also the Julio's OCD thing, I think they either were scrambling to, like, they might not have even come up with that in the first book because I don't think there's any evidence mm. seated in the first three books um, that he's OCD. And so then by that point, they, they needed an explanation for why it hadn't come up, right? So it could be that level of sloppiness or it could just be that they were like, decided that it was important to the narrative to have it be a secret and so then mm. just the fact that it needs to be a secret in Everworld is why they're doing it this way and so i don't know it doesn't i don't expect there to be a a lore based reason for it because of those no i don't either those things oh can we talk Oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, I forgot in my summary that Jaleel throws a spear through a guy and kills him. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't seem to have any thoughts about that. No thoughts had it, him? Didn't it upset him at the time? It did. I think he was, like, really shocked at the time that it happened. I'm trying to find the page It doesn't really it seem to linger. Like, he doesn't... I don't know if we've seen him kill people before. He probably has in, like, the Battle of Olympus and stuff. I can't really remember. But it doesn't seem to be something that he or the other characters like obsess over, even in the way that like the Animorphs do. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, but sorry, Jenny, I interrupted. You were going to say something. Oh, yeah. I would love to talk about the different attitudes the kids have towards sacrifice and sort of how that develops for Jaleel into killing the tree between the worlds. <laughs> they're not going to do it because they're American. <laughs> it's so bizarre. So, April's thing is something we talked about a little bit in the last book. And that is really, like... I feel like hers is pretty rooted in, in like, the religious tradition of Christianity. Like, not mm -hmm. taking false gods. Doesn't tend to come up in a literal sense these days in Christianity. But, like... That's definitely, like, what the commandments had in mind. Like, do not offer sacrifices to other gods. It wasn't saying that those gods don't exist. It was like they aren't, like, the right one. And but it's so... That's that's so true, Jenny. But it's still so weird to, to imagine, like, my peer having to deal with that in a literal <laughs> way. Like, because it's just... It's so weird to just hear the words coming out of her mouth. Well, like... No, you guys are false idols, right? Like, yeah. that's just, it would, yeah. it would never come up, would never occur to me to imagine that situation. Yeah, it's very weird. But, like, it makes a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, it's honestly, like, I could imagine myself taking that stance. Like, yeah, it would, I think I would have a lot more thoughts and, like, philosophical debate about it than than she seems to. And also... What a weird situation to be in. Wait, so can I ask place, you, but... though, do you think, is your conception of God that if you, like, there's no, there's no, pragmatism doesn't get you around that commandment, like, like, in April's case, or, because, like, there's no way that you can walk a, you know, letter of the law, but not spirit of the law thing there. I mean, it is pretty literal, but again, <laughs> why does she, isn't she, 
if she truly believes that they're not gods or false gods or whatever, couldn't she then yeah. sacrifice to them? Knowing they're that just like, like lesser powers of this particular land. And... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't I mean, have that... a theological opinion here. I'm curious. I though. do think that's probably where I would land. Um, but there is a really long tradition in Christianity of martyrdom because you refuse to renounce your faith. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like April probably feels like, and not without basis, that what her religion would ask her to do is, if it's a choice between offering like a sacrifice to a different god or dying, she should die. Mm-hmm. Like that, I think is not an unreasonable stance, like theologically speaking, to take. Mm-hmm. It's much better grounded than Jaleel's stance. That's about what I was about to say. <laughs> I, I get where April's coming from. Jaleel, I have no, I do not understand no. the like logic that is preventing him from, I, if, if the choice is like sacrifice a friend <laughs> in order to get through this land, yeah, sure, we're uh-huh. not going to do that. Fuck you. But, like, at one point, Eshu sends them a perfect white lamb. <laughs> it's like, I will give you this sheep. And you <laughs> Please just kill it. <laughs> kill the sheep that I have given you to provide a sacrifice for safe passage through this land. Like, listen, do that. I don't understand. And, like, Jaleel's perspective on it by that point is... I would lose my credibility if I switch sides and mm-hmm. say that we should just do the practical thing. And I, but that's just pride at that point, man. You're all going to die. Like you, <laughs> you have no sense of safety in this world. And I don't understand not kind of going along with that. Like again, from a very pragmatic perspective, if you're taking a religious stance, fine. But Jaleel's whole thing has been like logic and being sensible yeah. in the face of magic. And like here is a perfect example of a way to be sensible in the face of magic. Kill the goddamn sheep. You killed a person yesterday. It can't <laughs> be that it's that you don't want to kill things. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, he just seems to think he doesn't want to bow down to gods. Like it is very much a pride thing for him. Mm-hmm. And it gets yeah. to the point where he's like, I'm willing to destroy this thing that is like keeping these worlds together and maybe keeping a bunch of people alive and safe so that I don't have to bow down to a god and like that's just that's just straight up wrong man like that's actually evil like if you have the power to not have to bow down before the gods like if you have the power to resist them, great, do that. If you only have the power to resist them by hurting a lot of other people, then that's where you just enter, like, the territory of bad. I yeah. So, I, I agree with that, but, like, I really liked this, the way that his pride continues to lead him astray. Mm-hmm. And I also really liked the resolution of it, where... He does finally concede. Eshu outplays him at the end with the tree when he reverses gravity. And he won't even he won't even do it cleanly. He has to blame David and be like, okay, David, I'll do it if you order me. And David's <laughs> like, yeah, do it. And like he knows in that moment how how awful he is being about he, like needing needing that to soothe his pride. And I I just really liked seeing him struggle with that. Um mm-hmm. Even though it, 
it does seem to be like a new element in this book whereas like if you i've thought of jaleel as like the cold logician um who is ready to give good advice i haven't thought of him as the cold logician whose one flaw is his pride right like it would have yeah, been nice if that was established that more but i did like i did like the way it progressed yeah um I wonder if there was meant to be a sort of a racial component of it. At one point, someone says to him, like, I think it's probably issue, like, aren't we all slaves of the gods? And I was like, whoa, that was not an inadvertent word choice. And he doesn't, Jaleel doesn't comment on it specifically, but you can tell that, like, he's like, nope, to that statement. And I wonder if, like, they didn't make this connection specifically, but I wonder if they were aiming for it. This idea that, like, he's taking a stance for, like, human freedom to, like, repudiate, uh, like, a racial history of slavery? I don't know. It doesn't quite ring true as I'm saying it out loud. I I wouldn't take it that far, but I did get this. I mean, they establish it. It's it's in the text where they're like, oh, it's a black god. So, Jaleel, you talk to him. Oh, right? that's like, definitely That right, happens yeah. at, at the beginning. So I, I feel like that... that there's an undercurrent of that. And because that goes into his initial distrust or unwillingness to bow to Eshu, it's like, it's mm, definitely mm-hmm. bound up in his decision-making process throughout. Right. So mm-hmm. I think it's fair game. I don't know about the, the slavery metaphor. Yeah. I really liked, um, yeah, like you were saying, Ted, I, I thought it was a really interesting pro- like progression of pride. I didn't feel like, the book was condemning Jaleel for it in the way that I maybe would have wanted it to. Like, it actually just ends up going okay. Um, yeah. I really liked the thing where he was like, oh, April, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And she's like, what? No. <laughs> Even though she also was against doing the sacrifice. But like I said, she, she didn't go into this, but I assume that she would have understood that like, okay, maybe the consequences for me will be really bad but that's just what I have to take. That's what my God asks me to take. Um, And I'm not going to try to destroy a world to avoid those consequences. Like, that's just different. Also, I mean, okay. the, The amount of destruction that they are going to wreak because of the, because of killing this tree is truly outside the bounds of reasonable at at the point when your pride is going to destroy a people and a way of life (laughs) maybe it's time to reconsider that but also i really liked that um somebody i don't remember oh david calls him out on it and is like you bowed to loki you bowed (laughs) to hell why aren't you willing to bow to eshu and he's like that was they had superior force um <laughs> real fast what are you talking about you're stuck in an upside down underworld being like where the only power that has any control over you is issue what are you talking about you cannot get out of this what <laughs> superior what, what are this what? is superior force <laughs> i was so enraged and i i i think i was partially enraged because of like what the fuck is happening with mythology here but we'll come back We'll come back to that. I, I do feel like this whole attitude, I mean, at some point it, this is made very explicit, but it's so incredibly American. 
And it's also incredibly imperialist. Like they walk into this land and are like, you want us to bow down? Well, no. And it's our right to not bow down. And if you keep asking us to bow down, we'll destroy everything. Like, yeah. I'm not saying that like it is right for the gods to make them bow down. That's a totally different question. But them feeling like they shouldn't have to do anything they don't want to and they're justified in killing everyone to avoid doing anything they don't want to is like the most like messed up American thing on the planet. And it's funny because there's a they're mistaken as Vikings at first mm. and they're literally like, no, we're Americans. <laughs> and, um, and in fact, when so April says no because of her religious convictions and Jalil says no because of his logic X pride combo. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, David says he's going to do it until they tell him the words he'd have to say as he sacrificed it. He's like, oh, no, no, no. you can't tell me what I can and can't say. And Christopher's <laughs> like, your First Amendment rights? Are you kidding? Where that's not First Amendment rights. And then Christopher's like, no, 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 like, I'll do it. I'll go along with it. And then Seneth, she is screaming, like, she's spitting from her mouth. She's screaming at them. She's so mad. And Christopher's like, I'm not on Seneth's side anymore. Goodbye. <laughs> well, that's, it's so interesting. So, like, I I also, one of the things that is, I think, super interesting about the series is the way that, american view of the world is it's 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 like it's very pre 9 11 and it's kind of like thoughtlessness um about accepting this way of being and like i feel like that's the whole pitch of the series has been julia thinks about it explicitly like well the only thing that we don't have or the only thing that we have that the gods don't is like ruthlessness and cynicism. You know, like the thing about these gods is they're so stuck in their like naive mythical ways and they're not ready for us to, you know, play dirty. Like, I feel like that attitude comes up again and again. Um, and like, it, like it's played for laughs in the first book. Doesn't April like, when they're getting chased out of Loki's castle, she's like, they went that away, you know, like, you yeah. just kind of trick them, right? Like, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. And so I think that's a really interesting theme to explore. It is, I also like the fact that they don't like Senna or trust her. So when she's so angry at them, that that makes them even more stubborn, right? Like, I do really like that character dynamic. I do think it's really, really silly given like the the point about overwhelming force doesn't make any sense when you're talking about gods, right? Like you're in their domain. They can make you have nightmares about getting killed by lions or being burnt alive. They can get you tortured by, you know, demons. Like mm-hmm. what can you really fight that? You know, like can, can you really yeah. fight that? Jaleel thinks he can. And he, he does. I mean, as written, yeah. you know, Eshu's like, I mean, Eshu continues to outplay him um, every single time. And, like, Jaleel won't back down. Eshu won't back down either. Um, but it's not like as soon as Jaleel puts up any resistance, Eshu swoops in and kills all of them. But I mm-hmm. think he could? So, like, I don't understand. Yeah. There, there's also an aspect of this. One of the things that I found interesting in doing these close reads of the Animorphs and Everworld texts 
is the amount that we have learned about Apple Grant as people <laughs> and their yeah. like thoughts and philosophies about the world. Because, you know, when you've read a hundred books by two people, you get a pretty good sense of those two people. But there was one phrase in this book where I had to stop and be like, that is a lot of information in one sentence, which <laughs> is. So they, they're talking about um, the Vikings. They've just yes. met up with the Vikings. Yes. And uh, the guy, um, the hell is his name? Thorolf? Thorolf. Thorolf is all like, oh, we got to, we had war and it was awesome and we went fighting people in the jungles. He sighed at the happy memory. Vikings are a very pre-Vietnam culture. There's no ambivalence among them when it comes to war. I was like, well, that's a very telling sentence. People who grew up during the Vietnam era, tell me more about how you feel. I mean, it was just so fascinating because we've talked so much about Apple Grant and their view of war and conflict and kind of how those things come into play and war is hell over and over and over again. War is hell, war is hell. And if uh, reading into this one sentence, it seems very clear to me that these are two people who were around during the Vietnam War conflict and like understanding that when you send unprepared Americans into the fucking jungle to invade another country, it's going to go poorly and we should perhaps reconsider. And I just, it was such an interesting thing for them to throw in there in, in this book that is not actually about war at the moment. Um, but, you know, I don't know, it's just so weird. Yeah, it, it really struck me. Now that you're saying that, Gray, I wonder if having grown up during the Vietnam War, they have an inflated sense of how much the Vietnam War changed things. Maybe, like, maybe we have a little bit of inflated sense about how much 9-11 changed things, like, just because it's the yeah. big change that happened in our lifetimes. And because, like, I'm pretty sure people knew during, say, World War One that war is hell when they were sitting in trenches for months yeah. on end, getting trench foot and, like, killing each other from, Mustard like, 50 gas. yards away. Like, it's all really bad. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm... I was really, I was also very startled by that line and like struck by this sort of imagined pre-Vietnam past where everyone thought war was great all the time. No, it's that, it's that Americans are good at war and always win. It's that oh. in World War II, right? It's like the great, the myth of the greatest generation, right? Mm -hmm. We, you know, we stayed out of it as long as we could, but when we had to save the world from the bad guys we tooled up we got our guns we killed a bunch of people and then we ruled the world forever and everyone was happy because of it mm -hmm. i think that's the pre-vietnam golden state that really only existed in you know maybe the For eyes like of the kids of people who fought yeah. in world war ii um but i think that's i think that little slice of life mm. is where that comes mm -hmm. from and it's i also know that both of them were um from like military families. I don't know if yeah. if, it, if their fathers were in the just kind of that's where that's the kind of place they grew up. But I remember reading that in an interview. Yeah, I don't know what the timeline would have been like because I don't know how old they are. But yeah, I mean it's it's pretty clear that they have some strong feelings about the military and some ambivalent feelings about it as well. But it's just interesting mm -hmm. when it breaks into 
Everworld, which is like not about that as much yeah, as... Yeah, this isn't the Harkbajir Chronicles. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like in Everworld, the lands, people are pretty much like sticking to their own lands. Like they'll go out and fight each other, but there's no like... No one's trying to actively conquer all of the other quilt squares yeah. to like use their mm-hmm. use their analogy. Um, I mean, maybe Kaanor wants to eat all the other quilt squares. Yeah, um, it's unclear to me that Kaanor has any agency. Like from what we saw, Kaanor is like a big evil force field. But can't wait to know. find out that Kaanor is Senna's mom. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Kaanor is just yeah is just like some sort of construct to use a word from earlier in this episode that like eats gods and the power of those gods powers the hetwan like as like it provides their life force or whatever and if we blow up kaanor all the hetwan will fall down dead like a uh, classic movie aliens uh do you want to talk about the discussion david has with the coup hatch Sure. I also want to talk about David's uh, treatment of Senna. Uh, it's a, yeah, let's talk about right. both those things. Um, so Jaleel, and speaking with Senna, finds out that the Kuhatch have been following them. He tells David, and David's like, oh, yeah, I knew about that the whole time. And Jaleel's like, you didn't think to share? And David's like, oh, sorry, man. And Jaleel's like, well, you can't be mad at someone who apologizes. And I'm like... <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> but um, they go back there and they're, uh, because this is after the Kuhatch have saved them from the demon spider tree fire. And uh, the Kuhatch are like, you owe us. And David's like, well, we can trade you with knowledge. What do you know about tying ropes? Um, because these Kuhatch were not specifically the ones at Olympus, um, but they learned how to make cannons. Because I think second forging was at olympus and these are the fifth forging um but they've learned how to make the cannons but they can only like make the actual cannon themselves they have a hard time transporting them and moving them around and so david gives them what they asked for which is like this rope knowledge better way to tie up tackle pulley all of that stuff but then david starts to give them more than what they asked for um talking about to create a debt yeah like hey you've got to a smooth bore is not enough. If you like, you know, put in these rivets around it here, you can get a spiral. The spiral will make it fly farther longer. And he basically like upgrades their weaponry, like pretty much several levels at this point. And like you said, Jenny, to create a debt with them, but also it's clear he thinks the Kuhats are going to be on their side in the fight against Ka'anor, and David is already trying to build a better artillery for his future army uh, to turn against the Hetwan forces. I, I love everything many... about that scene. I thought yeah. that was really cool. I want to know how many uh, kids... You know how you guys learned about uh, thermals from Animorphs? <laughs> I want to know how many kids learned about rifling from... The, from Everworld. Like, I did well, not absorb it. The reason it's called a rifle is that the barrel had the thing in it and it made the bullet spin and that's how it could be accurate. How cool is that? I didn't know that until you said that right now, Gray. I did not oh. put that together. That's, that's why they're more accurate is because when you spin... It's no, like... I, the, why they're called a rifle because oh. the barrel is rifled. Ah, oh. yeah. What a great point. 
So not me, even though I read these, no, but sure, I only read them sure, sure. once, unlike Animorphs. So. Yeah, well, that's that's really it. Had you read it more than once, you'd have been like... Oh, if I'd read it like 15 times. Yeah, it's it's also interesting that they like accidentally gave the Kuhatch the secret of gunpowder earlier, and now they're intentionally, you know, leveling up the amount of weaponry in Everworld. It does kind of seem like there could be a moment of reckoning. We were talking about how there's no war among the quilt yet, but maybe there will be a time when it's like, okay, now it's all out. You know, we've got tanks and cannons and stuff, and we're basically having a full tilt ever world war with gods on both sides, and it's all David's fault. And how will he feel about that? A full but, tilt war of the quilt. <laughs> I was trying to come up with something about how the quilt is mightier than the sword. <laughs> I like yours, Meg. But I see where you're going with that, Jenny, with like a quill pen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I actually, I really admire um, David's long-term planning here. It's also, like you said, Ted, it's like huge potential for destruction. They have no respect whatsoever for the integrity of Everworld. Like they, all they have is contempt for this universe. They do not want to preserve it. That is incredibly clear. Um, but it's like, in a, in a different, like through a different lens, it's like a, such a pro- huge problem of war is like supply and preparation time. And like, once he sees what these, uh, Kuhatch do, like whenever they run into each other, they like share all the tech that they recently got. Like they ran into each other on like the Savannah and built a cannon so they could teach each other. <laughs> and, uh, so he's like he is seeing that how this could lead to a ton of very effective weapons. And so he's putting in the pieces now to like make those weapons better than they would be. And like, he's actually a very good strategist. I also, also, it's also a big risk because the Kuhatch have to be on their side, but he's also in, this is another way. He's like Jake. He pulls the classic Jake move. They think maybe when, uh, the group is divided over the sacrifice thing and he gets on his high horse about the first amendment. April and Jaleel are wondering like, maybe he just did that to kind of cover for them as the leader, which is like a thing that Jake used to do all the time when like (laughs) Rachel would do something super aggressive. Jake would be like, no, 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 Rachel's right. But what he really means is I can't stop her. So I'm going to try and stay in control. (laughs) Rachel, why don't you just go on in there and take care of that? Yeah. Good. Rachel, why don't you kill Tom for us? How could you? <laughs> I wonder if Applegrant is regretting at this point in the series the characters that they chose. Like, because they seem to be, like, turning David into someone who's more and more like Jake. And, like, I wonder if they just, like, realize the mistake, I say, that they made uh, when they made characters that, like, hate each other and are all really unpleasant. Yeah. I mean... I, I can't imagine leaving the Animorphs for oh. this and then having fun with it because these are not fun. Animorphs are so fun to write, like just like their group interactions. These kids are not the same. I got to say, though, they are. They do seem to be improving. Christopher had a joke that made <laughs> me laugh. That's <laughs> true. Wait, which it one was, was the one that made you laugh? The, uh, the wildebeests won't beasts joke. <laughs> Right, that wasn't that wasn't you know identity in any way. Yeah, <laughs> I although art. I mean, improving is a strong word. When Jaleel ends this book by being like, "We're going to destroy this tree that's like connecting everything," and David's like, "Okay, yeah, 
I will hit my ex-girlfriend incredibly so hard on the back hard. of the, her head. Okay, humans do not have an off button. You cannot just hit someone on the head and knock them unconscious for, like, if you knock them unconscious for more than, like, a few moments, they're, like, in a coma. Like, it's not like you just go get knocked out for a couple hours. And also, if that happens, you are not fine afterwards. Like, they, like did they just not, un- did does Apple Grant not understand how bad, bad head, head trauma is? Sorry, I'm, like, yes, getting too excited. That is or, accurate. They do not understand how bad head trauma is. Or do they actually want David to do something this terrible to someone who, like, yeah, she doesn't seem like a great person, but, like, this is an incredibly brutal action to take. I thought they were just going to, like, cut her arm a little bit, which is still mean, but, like, it just means that there's going to be some blood. Great. They're not, like, brain damaging her. Okay, so I... Or killing her. misread this at first, um... But I'm going to read exactly what he does in the book. His sword came up and out of its sheath. He swung the pommel hard. The gold and steel made a sickening crunch as it hit the back of Senna's head. Senna's face registered shock. And then her eyes rolled up. She collapsed. I she dead. She has like a skull fracture. She's she dead. dead. Yeah. When when they said his like sword came all the way out, I thought he had taken the flat and just used it like a baseball bat on her head. But I realized like, <laughs> It was the pommel, so he must have done, like, one of those little punch thingies. But, like, I thought he had just killed her. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> That's a twist. <laughs> and now we need there to There might be to reasons Santa's to mom. do that. Yeah, but... <laughs> now we need to get Santa's mom because we killed Santa. Whoops. I think it's just, like, law of cartoon violence, like, Mm -hmm. which is, again, weird for Apple Grant, because sometimes they do realistic violence really well. Yeah. Do you know what would have been so good? If if they were like, you know, David, that's way too hard. What if you killed her? And he'd be like, oh, she's fine. She's magic. Whatever. We do all this stuff. And then it gets to the point where the the African gods send us all back. (laughs) And all of the Vikings succumb to their wounds. It would have been and so funny if Senna collapsed and died <laughs> at the end of this book because it didn't stick because they were in the underworld, but... Oh, yeah. goodness. It's very grim. Yeah. Sorry, not funny. Ironic. No. It... <laughs> they need her Fitting, and they've killed perhaps. her without realizing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, there are ways in which these characters are... Getting, like, Christopher, they seem to really be on an improvement arc for him. It's actually unclear to me that any of the other characters are supposed to be getting better. It's Maybe it's a little bit like Animorphs, where, like, the stuff that the Animorphs went through, in some ways they were, they were stronger, they were more capable, but they were really damaged. Um, I wonder if there's anything intentional going on with the other three characters. Like, April seems to be having more trouble, like, with the real world versus Everworld stuff. Jaleel seems to be getting caught up in pride. It's unclear how intentional that is, narrative arc-wise. David seems to be becoming, like, a little bit of a brutal dictator, maybe? Mm. I don't know. I feel like David's improvement arc is no longer being whammied. <laughs> well, that's just because of Athena. Athena just forbade it. I don't yeah. know. 
I think uh, Senna's trying to whammy Jaleel instead. She's she's so she switched from Christopher to David before in the before times, and now mm-hmm. she might be switching from David to Jaleel because David's certainly not listening to her, and he is uh, mm. actively working against her now. I felt like it was more like uh, Senna could tell that. Wow, it's snowing. Huh. Yeah. Senna could tell that Jaleel was pushing back hard on her, trying to get a read on her, trying to understand her, and that she was acting more in defense. Like, she was, like, acting as part of this battle of wills between the two of them, rather than trying to set him up to be her pawn in the future. I don't know. You could be right, though. Do we want to talk about the mythology in this book? Let's get into it. Yeah, I went in thinking this was going to be the Egypt book. It's not. I really, it's definitely yeah. not. Um, and I feel Wait. like Apple Grant went out of their way to talk about how there's so many different African mythologies from all over, from like all these times and all these different sorts of people. Like Jaleel has a kind of derisive, uh, you know, little speech about it. <laughs> but at the tail end of it, they never told us where specifically this mythology was from (laughs) it's just african it's awful i just okay listen listen i am not an expert on african mythologies so everything i know is from you know doing a little bit of research on the internets in reaction Mm -hmm. to reading this book and going Well, surely they got most of this wrong, right? (laughs) And it turns out. So, okay. It's nice that they were trying to depict a non-Egyptian African mythology, right? And there is the point where they're like, saying it's African is the same thing as saying it's European. There are lots of different countries. There are lots of different cultures. You cannot group them all together. Having then having apparently said that, they were like, and now we can ignore that completely. <laughs> I am de- I'm desperate to know in 2000 and wherever the frick they were writing this. Like 2001, maybe? 2001. 2000. What book they were using? 2000. 2000. Okay. So in 2000, they were not doing a Wikipedia search, right? What book were they using to write this book? is my question, because I'm sure that they had some sort of source, but I don't, I can't figure out what it is because the combination (laughs) of mythologies is so bizarre. Eshu is in, okay, so most of the gods themselves are from the Yoruba mythology, right? Which is like Nigeria, Benin, whatever. That's all actually mostly fine. Like Eshu as the trickster god and the messenger god and the god that believes in like sacrifice and balance and whatever, all of that makes sense. Super on board with that, fine. The Orisha that appear at the end where they're like the greater gods, ish, I mean, sort of, there were really like, there were three main gods and then there were a bunch of Orisha, so it, it's Or like little... the or ish, uh, or... am I right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so like, it's not really the same thing as the like, the way that they made the Orisha appear 
it seems like, oh, like, this is the pantheon of gods, like, we had get in, in the Greek mythologies. And it's like, well, that's not what that means. That's not what that is. Yeah. But okay, fine. This whole f***ing tree of life, afterlife, upside down nonsense. I spent, you guys, I spent so long trying to figure out where the f*** they were getting this from. Oh, me too. Did you find it? Because I was just looking before this and I could not. No. The, the closest I can get is that the um, there is a vaguely tree of life type thing with the baobab trees, but that's like not really the same thing. And the upside down afterlife, maybe there's a Yoruba connection, but I found one very bad article that referenced it. And it is not like a thing. There is an awesome article in um, Journal de Africanistes from 1988. So like, only knows how good this is, but it's the only vaguely scholarly article I could find about the afterlife in Yoruba traditions. Mm -hmm. And there is a thing about, um, it's called the, the ghost land, which mm. is basically there, the underworld is like the real world, but upside down. Um, includes forests and grasslands. There are two streams, one that's green and one that's blood red. Um, so that kind of checks out. And it, there's like some connection between Earth. However, it's not this like, zebras are now yellow and pink instead of black and white <laughs> nonsense that Apple Grant is coming up with. Meg, did you, it looked like you had found something about this. Um, not specifically, uh, but as I was reading this, I thought this was calling out to the actual Everworld symbol. Um, where we have this ankh with, like, there's a piece sticking out above it and a piece sticking out below it. Oh, uh-huh. I yeah. thought this tree might specifically be, like, an Everworld-only invention, but then it ended up being, like, like you were saying, you know, it might be just part of some a piece of a piece of something they read and they kind of fleshed it out for their story purposes. That does sound like them. Like that's really what they did with hell mm -hmm. um, where m most yeah. like 99% of what they included in that story was just them making stuff up. Cause that does seem to be something that they like to do, like taking an ingredient being like, okay, what this, what could this mean in terms of like how they're after world? Like, it's not like, what is the actual myth? It's like, what could the myth have been a little snapshot of and here's the actual thing? Like, I can see, like, it's a little counterintuitive to me to try to take those kind of liberties with, like, other people's religions, but, like, I, I, I can see them having that attitude, sort of like wanting to build out alien cultures, wanting to build out these fantasy worlds based on mythology. Yeah. I'm with you on that, except that... <laughs> There are no longer people who believe in the Norse myths. Mm, the Yoruba mm -hmm. is still living culture. <laughs> it has That's, changed significantly, yeah. you know, over the course of many millennia, and especially with the slave trade and the, um, you know, invasion of Christianity and Islam into that part of the world. But like, the Yorubas are uh, the Yoruba exist, and they have like that is a that is a culture and a very important one, and one that has been traumatized by so much violence and grief in the last, well, I mean, 
since the invasion of the Europeans, but then over time, right, that part of the world has, has really been ripped by a lot of trauma and violence. And to take this kind of currently living culture and be like, we can f with this, is like, maybe don't. There are lots of other ones that aren't gonna, no, no one's gonna care too, too much. I mean, I will, but most people aren't gonna care too, too much <laughs> if you take like the Incan mythology and mess it all to hell. No one's gonna come after you for making hell from the Norse mythology is completely different than she was in the stories. No one's coming for you for that because they don't exist anymore. But you're taking a living culture and being like, we can make this our own. And it's like, no, you can't. No, you not without like, I don't want you to do that personally. But I also feel <laughs> like if you had spoken to one person from Nigeria, they probably would have been like, hey, maybe don't do that. We have enough going on with, we don't need you taking our our culture and mythology and f***ing with it for a young adult book. I mean, there's also the implication, like we, we mentioned this when there was, I think a Zoroastrian god was just mentioned in passing, that like, oh, these gods don't exist in the real world anymore, they only exist in Everworld. And that's a pretty insulting claim to make about active religions. Like it, like you were saying, Gray, it's fine, like there are no people as far as I know maybe I'm wrong who are worshiping the like ancient Norse gods but like the that's completely different by being like no one believes in us we're going to like go off into this different world that's not true when it comes to these cultures yeah I mean and listen like that's not to say that this is that they're taking kind of the modern version of Yoruba religions but like mm -hmm. and like again not an expert, don't really know what the f I'm talking about. But according to Wikipedia, there are more than a, there could be more than 100 million adherents of the Yoruba spiritual traditions worldwide. So that's 100 million people you've been like, your stuff, not real. And we can tell it's not real because <laughs> I'm allowed to mess with it and no one cares. Like, no, please don't do that. It's such a yeah. European attitude towards the old gods, like that all like pantheons of gods are all like, all polytheistic religions are old and not practiced anymore. Yeah, I was gonna say I was, I was, pretty excited about like oh we're we're getting into a non-Egyptian African pantheon. I hadn't even really considered the um, the fact that it's still a, a living practice. So I'm really glad you brought that up, Gray. But like even beyond that, I feel like despite the fact that like Eshu seems I I was also reading about. Um, like who Eshu is as this Loki figure and stuff. And it does seem like it's an interesting, it's an interesting figure to read about and have presented. And it's fun to have him face off against uh, Jaleel. But like they, I don't know. They, they, the way that they do the world building still says so much about what they care about or what their perspective is. Like you were just saying, Jenny, like, you know, they do have the one page where they're talking about how Africa isn't a monoculture, but like, so if there are hundreds of different spiritual traditions, why did the Yoruba get on the quilt and those other ones didn't? Why aren't we looking at like thousands, of, you know, like, and then like, and where's the Christian God, right? Like, <laughs> this is like, is a huge missing piece. And the thing that like, drove me the most crazy about this is Jaleel gets on his high horse about how he's like, yeah, you know, myth is a thing of the past. Thanks to the enlightenment. We're all, you know, we're all like post, you know, post all of this mythos stuff. 
And I was like, do you not have any idea what Christianity has to do with all of these ideas? <laughs> right? Like, it's, it's a very, very silly conflation of, like, the Enlightenment with atheism. Which, like, I don't know how intentional it was or just, like, co- like a completely missed the boat idea. But he's not being, like, he's not, like... Oh, you know, since Marx and Nietzsche, you know, we really know what we're talking about. He's he's like, you know, since uh, since Kant, that famous atheist philosopher, right? Like, it's so stupid. <laughs> well, the Christian God is civilized, though, so it's different. No, and and the, oh, the other thing on that note is that again, like, I thought that they were doing okay, but then Senna, uh, it, it, this this made me really angry. Senna talks about how. Um, She's like, oh, I can learn so much from the magic in this underworld because the the magic of the African gods is um, so simple that it's sophisticated. It's like oh, this yeah. awful, like mm-hmm. colonial mindset Poetry, that she science. brings in. And again, like Apple Grant, you had a you had a chance here to to play fair, but instead you have to go into these like racist tropes or like you know tropes about like what it means to be uncivilized and how you can like still learn quote unquote is awful even even when applied through the lens of a magical witch so also we just came from olympus which the kids are trying to defend like davidius is the general of the forces they go through um the like nigeria whatever this like area western africa where the yoruba live and um and come from defending olympus Come try to destroy the primary, like the the roots of the religion of this this African culture. They actually try to destroy this African culture, and I think that Apple Grant deliberately did this in a Jaleel book so that they could have a black character doing it, Ugh. so that it wasn't a white character trying to destroy an African people, yeah. but. Fuck, They're that's white. Totally why they did it that way. Jaleel isn't a real it. black person. Jaleel is a black person they made up. It's Ugh. like when people who make comic books, like men who draw comic books, are like, well, these women are allowed to wear skimpy clothes. Don't you think women should be able to choose what they wear? And you're like, they're not real women making choices. They're people you Ugh. created. That's a really good Jaleel point, is yeah. not a real black person interacting with a black culture and should not be trying to destroy it. Thanks. They hate it. I was also like the way that they played up Eshu's appearance, um, the way he was pulling tricks on them and appearing as kind of like a mysterious old man instead of like a 12 foot tall, super powerful guy. I felt like that was also (laughs) playing into um, racist tropes. They let Eshu be just a little bit of like a straight up all powerful evil dude by the end. But um, it's not great. Not great representation. Speaking oh, wait, of playing... can I also complain? I didn't think this was going to be the Egypt book. We got a Conor book. I thought this was going to be the Kuhatch book. Why couldn't they put oh. a Don King looking guy on the cover of a book, <laughs> right? I, I have to believe that they, despite featuring an African mythology, at some point in the process at Scholastic, they were like, yeah, let's put an alien on the cover instead of a black guy. Like, I, huh. it, it's... Yeah. It's Leading possible, to I'm reading too much series. into it, but like the it worst. seems, it must be the case. It must be the case that that was an intentional decision on someone's part at Scholastic. I don't think we can necessarily blame Apple Grant for that, but like it pissed me we off tried. when I realized that. 
Speaking of racially coded portrayals of things and people, Is this um, about Miyuki's Miyuki. family. Let's talk. Well, oh, goodness. I wanted to specifically to talk about Miyuki, who shows up in the first chapter of this book. We don't really interact with her in that chapter. Uh, but this is the girl who uh, Jaleel has a crush on. She is Japanese. Like, her family is from Japan. They're only living here for a little while. And the descriptions of her are all extremely, like, stereotypically, like, Asian women. Like, the first physical description we get of her is, look how she eats those neat, tiny bites. She can eat a taco and still not make a mess. And then on the next page, Miyuki was not sweating deep snow which is what her name means and it's just oh yeah nice smile sweet that was the word for it christopher was right she did have a small mouth it's this very like petite dainty like uh elegant um view of asian women that um i think does so much harm to um at least asian american women in 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 the u.s i don't know very much about the those stereotypes in Asia but it just was like I don't like I don't think they realize that like that that's a damaging stereotype I don't know they just seem to have no clue about it yeah the other thing we learn about her family is that they're from Hiroshima Mm, mm -hmm. and the conversation about that is that uh oh, so that's why they don't like Americans, because they're from Hiroshima. And what Jaleel says about that is, wow, so that whole atom bomb thing, they don't (laughs) want you dating Americans. And she's like, no, my parents weren't even alive then. They don't care about that. They just don't want me dating American boys. And I was like, I have issues with both sides of that conversation. Yikes. (laughs) Yikes. What? Why? Just, I don't under, like, that is an an authorial choice to make her family from Hiroshima so as to make it plausible that she wouldn't be able to date Americans, not because she's only here for a limited amount of time, her parents don't want to deal with the teen drama of like, I have a boyfriend, I can't go back home. But no, it's because, like, she has to be from Hiroshima so we can talk about the atomic bomb. And like, also, that was not one generation of trauma, you guys. Like, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the literal fallout from that is still being felt. I, I, I don't understand why this whole conversation happened. That whole atom bomb thing is just... Well, it's it, yeah. because we just live in a more enlightened and cynical age... Yeah. But yeah, that was really strange where she was like, my parents weren't even alive when it happened. Do the math. And I'm like, oh no. It's. (laughs) Yeah. Hoi. Yeah, there's just so much packed into that. And then we don't unpack it at all. Uh, And when he's. When he's going to the date, he's not even thinking about Miyuki. He's obsessing over what her dad will think of him. Hmm. I mean, I feel like that's somewhat realistic to be like, this girl has a strict father. I'm going over to her house. Like, that's what he's afraid of. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. I don't know how I feel about like, I did like her, like in that interaction, like she was, she Mm -hmm. was fun. Um, But like, 
this this uh, Asian girl is introduced and like we learn that she is tidy and has a strict family and like that's not I don't know so not I did great. I I I agree with you on the stereotypes I did think the neat eating thing was maybe a Jaleel's OCD connection maybe I way over oh definitely. No, it was definitely, that. like, but they're like, oh, Jaleel is neat and tidy. Let's give him an Asian woman. Yeah, that's, that's, that's totally right. Yeah, and if he, there was also, like, great, now that I'm thinking about it, there's an untapped theme here about connecting the, like, the atom bomb technology to what David is doing in Everworld. They don't get anywhere mm. near having that conversation, but, like, it could have come up somehow if Jaleel had met Miyuki's parents, right? Like, I'm not sure yeah. I would trust mm. them to pull that off, but, like... Um... <laughs> no, but it's a good point. Like, yeah, there are some... The thing is, and I feel this way about all of these books so far, there is a potential for tying together some really interesting themes about world mythologies and our interactions with faith and with ourselves and how we grow and change over time based on the people that we are interacting with and based on the experiences we have. Uh, none of that actually happens, but the potential is there. And I think that <laughs> makes it worse. Like if this was honestly, if this was just full of uh, just crap from start to finish, Okay, then you just, okay, one star, I don't have to read it. But there's, like, just enough of these glimmers of Apple Grant having a theme or a thought that they really want to drive home, and then just, like, not doing it, and that makes me more <laughs> angry. Yeah. I think, I think I liked Christopher and Jaleel's conversation about the Nazis. I think it was, like... Uh, Jaleel's like, oh, but they thought they might be able to recruit you, right? And Christopher was like, hey, I'm not like that very much. I mean, I'm I'm working on it, okay? <laughs> like, yeah. I I appreciated the, the nuance of his, like, defensive response and then being willing to grant. Like, they're, they're trying really hard to show some change with him. I'm not sure how well they're really succeeding in their goal there. It still feels really forced, but... The thing that yeah. I... I, that that conversation was fine, but earlier in the book, when they talk about how germs work in Everworld, Christopher implies <laughs> that um, slaves should be blamed for any diseases they brought oh to the new gosh. world. And Jaleel, Jaleel thinks he's got a point. And I had to put, <laughs> put the book down and walk away. Because that, talk about putting a shitty white idea into a, a black character you invented its mouth like that's that's one of the more offensive things uh christopher has said and that has yeah. been one of these books i i was uh i was taken aback and my expectations are set pretty low it's just like I, I feel like having the black character forgive christopher so easily is like it's a little bit uh, giving themselves too much credit for what they're doing with yeah. Christopher. Yep. And then later, uh, the Christopher uh, has his one brother of the day. Um, and uh, because David asks Jaleel, what do you know about the gods and so on in Africa? And Jaleel's like, why would I know about the gods and stuff in Africa? And David's like, well, I wasn't asking because you're 
black. I'm asking because you, you, you know stuff. I don't. Uh-huh. And David continues. Look, it's not a diss to think maybe someone knows something about his own heritage. And it's like, I don't like you. And then they go into the, like, there's no such thing as Africa. It's hundreds, maybe thousands of different nationalities and so on. But, like, yikes. There were several, like, comments where I was like, I have a clear rebuttal and no one in this book is making it. Or, like, in that conversation where um, uh, Julia's like, what, you wouldn't expect me to ask you about, like, the kings of ancient Israel? And I'd be like, well, actually, no, I mean, I would actually, like... Jewish kids tend to get a lot of education in that. Like, a lot of them go through, like, bar and bat mitzvahs. Where they have to, like, you know, they have to study. All, like, that's actually not yeah. unreasonable. That was a terrible response. That's not and a good the, analogy. With the thing, with the Christopher's thing, where he's like, why is it always white men spreading disease? Why was it never, like, you know, the black people coming over from Africa? And... Like, why weren't they bringing disease? And I was like, because they're being brought themselves. The white men are bringing them. Like, that's such an obvious response. And the fact that, like, Jaleel, who we are told is extremely intelligent, couldn't come up with that response. And instead it's like, huh, can't believe he gave me something to think about. Like, what was that? No. Hey, we only have one more book from each person's point of view. Does this mean <laughs> Jaleel is going to get the finale? Or is it going to be like a Megamorphs? Everyone's going to have a piece oh. of the finale. Well, this is probably if... premature, but I'm wondering if the next book Senna. will be a Senna book. <gasps> Interesting. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh... I could imagine Senna being on a David book, though. What's yeah, that? what were you going to say, Ted? Sorry. Also, we know that's not Senna. That's Senna's mom slash twin from Egypt. <laughs> that's Senna Prime. Senna Prime, exactly. <laughs> Before a horrible uh, Star Trek-style transporter accident left her standing oh. in two worlds. Wait, which Senna has a beard? Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's uh, Mirror Universe. That's different from Transporter Accident. Oh, okay. Sorry. So sorry. they all had beards when they were walking upside down? Is that the... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Goatee. It's got to be it. Yeah. What's that movie, the Jordan Peele red movie? The, oh, uh, the... Uh, Us. Us? Us? Yeah. That's, that's what I keep thinking of, even yeah. though I haven't oh, actually seen it because no. I don't like horror movies. It's so good. It was not as scary as I expected. You shouldn't watch it, Greg. You shouldn't watch it. It's a good movie, though. The second act is really scary. Yeah. Listen, I bet it's really, really good. Don't watch the... I don't. (laughs) Like Get Out, the third act isn't as scary, but the second... I think the the middle part of the movie gets me. I'm all good. It was scarier than Get Out, I think. Um, one of you, one, um, speaking of kind of predictions for the future, I think Meg said something earlier in an earlier episode about, uh, seeing Thorolf again. Like if we go to the underworld, maybe we'll see him again. And when he showed up, I was like, queen of predictions. Good job. I did it. You can wear the crown for the day. Hooray. Interestingly, he hadn't died I think, Meg, you thought he was dead when you made that prediction, but he was alive. 
And yet it was somehow still correct. Very impressive. Do you have a crown? Yes. Do you have a crown? I am the Megan's wearing a crown. Queen of predictions. Amazing. <laughs> you knew you were gonna get that crown because you I predicted, predicted it. it. Yes. So you had it on hand. I love it. Um what else do we want to say about this book? I, I have a couple of like little things that are more Oh, actually, no, one thing, one more thing on Julio's point of view, and then I have a few, like, little things I liked. Um, he, I was actually, um, maybe someone wants to read this part from chapter two. I don't have the book with me. But the the part where he talks about Isis being a different kind of god because she's a fertility and magic and motherhood mm-hmm, god. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, you know, all these, all these old gods, they really suck. They're all casual killers and serial rapists. And he's feeling all superior about it. It's like, I do kind of buy, it's maybe a very Jaleel thing to think, but it's, uh, it also feels more like an authorial opinion and that, that very Eurocentric, like, well, Christianity has the one civilized God and everyone else is all barbaric and Mm -hmm. and crappy. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really, yeah, it jumped out to me as a maybe author statement. Cause, uh, I can't remember if it was episode one or two, but, um, Gray and Jenny, you guys were talking about wanting more hearth and home and fertility goddesses mm-hmm. in the in the story. Yeah. And another thing from that early bit is Julio says, it's hard to like anyone who has so much more power than you do, which is Ooh. also very sort of like um, American double standard. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, and this even more. Okay, wait. So we get the one, the one token non-Egyptian African pantheon, and they have the audacity to list Zeus and Jupiter separately. I did not, I did not understand this choice. But when Jaleel talks about all the big gods getting together, he includes in the same list two names for the same god. Didn't there, wasn't there a line in the last one, I don't remember if I complained about it, but I think there was a line about, like, fighting off the Roman upstart, like, Zeus fought off Jupiter because he was the Roman, it was something about that in the previous book, and I just remember being like, I hate every, I just, I hate all of you, I think I couldn't even be bothered ranting about it because I was so mad. I remember they did have a list a couple books ago that uh, differentiated Celts and Britons, I'm okay with that. Yeah, but like that kind of detail with regard to like the peoples <laughs> of the British Isles, but then we'll have one African religion we mentioned besides Egyptian and we won't specify where it's from. Yeah. I mean, no, no, it's fair. I just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel it. Um, Jaleel likes to count on his fingers when he's making good points. <laughs> he knows that it annoys other people and he still does it. I love everything about that. I quoted that <laughs> as a love it line. <laughs> um, I was intrigued oh, by... Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, did you guys know the Kuhatch are not aliens from our universe, but aliens from a different universe? They are multiverse aliens. Huh. Didn't know that. Um, did not I thought they were that. like from a planet, a far off planet, There's... different universe. Here's a question I have about that. Uh, gods of different alien species invaded it. An alien invasion that didn't require faster-than-light travel. All they had to do was figure out how to pierce the bubble. 
the two universes aren't far apart like a pair of galaxies, distance is irrelevant, Everworld and the real world aren't in space. Okay, listen, I'm with you on Everworld not being in space, but I'm reasonably confident that the real world is. <laughs> Thank you. But what kind of space, Gray? Like regular space, or is it like a space that we would assign a number to? Like, I don't know, like zero? Is that a number? I really don't know. I also, there was the one point where um, they, he, he's talking about the, um, what was between Everworld and the real world? Why did the, why was there a time lapse en route? And he's mm. like freaking out about oh no, there was a lapse of time and I don't know what was happening and which body was I in during this period of time. This has not come up before. Please tell me I don't have to care about this because I, I don't, I don't, I can't <laughs> it'll possibly be, be bothered uh, to care about this. It'll be important to the final battle because the gateway will open, but they won't be able to just travel straight to home. Uh, it will take an hour to travel between worlds. <laughs> and so initially, uh, prediction time, the bad forces will get to Senna first. They'll get through the gateway. We'll think all hope is lost. And then Jaleel will be like, no, no, we still have another hour to figure out what to do. <laughs> and then the Kuhatch will have a super weapon that we will use to kill Senna. We'll all be conflicted about it. But because suddenly we'll all like care about Senna. She's been our friend for so long. Um, right. But yeah. She does be... one nice thing like the night before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very Faustian. She pets a dog. One good deed. And so she (laughs) dies, and they're like, what happens to us if Senna dies? And they're like, the gateway's gone. But then, what do you think? True Love's Kiss wakes her back up? Or like, it was all a trick? If it is, I'm not reading any more of these books. (laughs) Anyway, um, I think... You'll retroactively unread them. I think our... Uh, we're all going to wake back up in the real world and everyone will be celebrating and everyone will be happy. Um, but the book will end on someone falling asleep and waking <gasps> back up in Everworld and just screaming because their Everworld selves are going to be trapped there forever. I mm. love that. I don't That's love really that. Good. That sounds so, very plausible it. and terrible. Um, the, oh, yeah, Those are my predictions. Some classic Apple Grant in this book. Meg, you talked about the awful lion body horror. Uh-huh. Um, I loved everything about that. It was great. Second Jaleel did. book with really good body horror in it. Um, Jaleel also, he's got some termite feelings, which is straight <laughs> out of book nine of Animorphs. Oh. He's like, these poor termites, they even know what's happening to them. Termites are bad, <laughs> the Jaleel. Poor termites. Read, the, read the book. <laughs> I also, you know what I, I did love the scene where he asks Miyuki out. He was really bad at it, oh, but yeah. she likes him. You know, high schoolers going to cut each other some slack. It was cute. <laughs> uh, I want to fold yeah. back to, Ted, what you were talking about the cover, how there's a Hatch guy on the cover, even though it's the book about the African mythologies. I want to read you guys the back of this book. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Jaleel, David, Christopher, and April have definitely made some mistakes since they've been trapped in Everworld. You have to admit, it's got to be pretty tough not to screw up when you find yourself in a place that makes absolutely no sense. So it's pretty understandable that Jaleel and the others wouldn't think twice about trading a chemistry book for an unbelievably sharp knife. For protection. 
After all, the coup hatch seemed harmless enough, just another group of transplanted aliens who managed to end up in Everworld. Now it seems, those same aliens are combining the textbook information with their own technology to create horrific new weapons. And guess who they plan to use them on? Dot, 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 question mark. That's such clickbait. Oh my gosh. Also, who do they plan to Do we know that? No. No. Uh, What's horrific about a non-rifled cannon? That's also, it's, it's a, it's a classic weapon. None of that happened in this book. That all happened in the last book. Their invention of gunpowder, their new cannons. That was all in book seven. So Jenny, I bet they had to write the I bet they had to write the titles, covers and mm-hmm. backs like in advance or, you know, like because they were gonna, they must have been turning these things in like right under the wire the whole time. That that does remind me. What the hell was the betrayal in this book? Oh, uh, David they betrayed Santa, Santa in the back of the head. That's the but is she braving the betrayal? I don't <laughs> Jal- Jaleel betrayed his principles. Uh, David betrayed Senna. He had to be brave to do it. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's very hard to betray someone, and yeah, you have to brave your own betrayal. Um, but Jenny, now Um, I'm very curious. Could you read us some of the back of the next book? No, we have to predict what happens in it first. Okay. Then we can read it. Um, Um, I would like to say... Although, actually, considering how little the backs relate to the books, we could do both. (laughs) When they get attacked by the river in Upside Down World, um... They're all they're all washing off in the river, and when they get attacked, David, who was on watch at the beginning, is still naked, and they uh, the the people who stumble across them, you know, are like sizing them up. They think they're Vikings, and at some point, Jaleel notes that the chief admired David's sword, and <laughs> I lost it. So good, so good. <laughs> Oh, man. I was intrigued. Okay, so at the beginning, they interact with Athena a bit before she sends them off on this errand. She says something about envying mortals, like kind of the adventures they go on. And she, Jaleel says something about how, like, she's like the one god who's smart enough to, like, know that what they're doing is, like, self-sabotaging. And, but she, is, she also knows that she's a slave to her myth. I was really curious. This sort of raises the question of, like, sometimes in books about magic, you'll get that, like, you know, humans believing things create um, magic. And is it is it the case that we have these myths about these gods because that's what they're really like, and so it's influenced the myths? Or is it like the myths created the gods, or that they continue to shape the gods or power the gods? Like, there are these questions that, like, don't really get addressed, but I feel like there was a really, that was a really tantalizing glimpse into these possibilities. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really unclear. That is the kind of thing that I want more information about and I'm never going to get. All right, you know what I want? A lot of nudity I'm... in this book. Sorry, Jenny, I interrupted. Oh, true. Pushing those That's YA okay. buttons. What, what do you want, Jenny? <laughs> it's not a lot of nudity in this book. What I want to go back a couple topics, I want them to go back to the real world, like to go through the gate, but they don't merge with their other selves. They're just both there. Fight to the death. And then they have to, they have to deal with having two of themselves trying to share a life, and one of them has this like history of trauma in Everworld, and the other one has only been in the real world and they both feel entitled to the life 
And it's hard to explain to people why suddenly you have a twin when they don't have their own birth certificate or I documentation have... and your parents no, don't think that happened, exist. they would kill each other. And <laughs> somebody would take it upon themselves to kill April's double for her, knowing that she <gasps> wouldn't. And oh my gosh, could you imagine if they killed the wrong April? They wanted but the which Everworld. Is the wrong one? They want the Everworld one to survive. Obviously, it's the Everworld versions who are willing to like <laughs> kill to get their normal lives back. Mm-hmm. And like, they would kill the Everworld April on accident. No, I think I have. I know how exactly how this would go down. They'll they will reunite real world selves coming back to the lake, Everworld selves passing through the gate or whatever. Um, but this book foreshadows what's going to happen. So as their Everworld selves step through the gate back into the real world, the real world selves get one last memory update, and then they watch as all the accumulated wounds that they suffered while they were yeah! in Everworld overcome them at once, and their Everworld selves fall to the ground dead in front of yes! them. Yes! And then there's only one copy of them, but they have to live with having seen themselves die. Oh my gosh. That's so And with having these so memories good. of these things that they didn't really go through themselves. Oof. All right, immediate they... predictions for Christopher. David. David. Gosh darn it. I even like see look, that's why my prediction <laughs> crown just fell off because I got that wrong. Um I keep doing They're gonna that. go to Egypt. Yeah. They're gonna meet Ooh, wait. ISIS. Wait, hold on. I have one more thing about the book. They talked about the significance of their names. Do you remember what Jaleel's name means? Was it like godly? Godlike. Godlike. God- Ooh, Godlike. Yeah. And then we have David, classic king, Christopher. Christ in his Very heart. obvious. April. Um, April? Spring. I thought it was obvious. As opposed to Senna's after. winter. Oh, that's right. Senna is a the type of poetry, I remember. Gray told us. <laughs> okay. That's Senna's right. a type of insult poetry. All right, yeah. back to predictions. <laughs> so, back to David. Uh, we're going to Egypt. Um, are we going to figure out more of his long-term war plans? Yes. No. He's going to start laying, um, like, supply chains and stuff. Uh, I think he and Senna are going to break up officially. Are they together? Well, I mean, like, she's going to declare, she's like, you're no longer my champion. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. You hit me well, in the okay, head. So it really hurt. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like David's had a lot of stuff happening to him sort of in other people's books. Because his last book was The uh, was the Fairy World with the dragon and his whole mm-hmm. fevered trek, you know, to, to bring the dragon back. But now he's been the general for the Greek gods. He's negotiating with the Kuhach. He got cured of his whammy. I feel like there's a lot to catch up on. I have a uh-huh. prediction. David's going to die in the next book. <gasps> Whoa. Uh, but then who's going to lead the final battle? Who's going to be in the finale? We can't have another David book. Either they're going to make gonna Jaleel. Die. They're either going to take Jaleel's final book away and give it to someone else. Or uh, maybe we have a character <laughs> oh, yeah. die. I do have a prediction about that. If they intended to end the series at 12, it's going to be Megamorph style. If they mm. accidentally ended the series at 12, it's just going to be a normal Jaleel book. Okay. <laughs> so okay. here's right. the cover. You're right. This could be Senna's mom. What's um, it called? She Inside has, of... It's called Inside the Illusion. And it's a blonde, a blonde girl. She looks pretty young on the cover. So, you know, not like 
you know, potentially Senna's age. She looks actually a little bit like the actress who plays Siri in the recent Witcher series, randomly. And her eyes are like maybe sort of a tannish brown color, but there's like the blue and white of a cloudy sky behind like where the whites of her eyes should be and like just through the whole eye space. Hmm. Creepy. And the inside cover is... The four of them in threadbare clothing, they actually seem like they got their, like, hair colors, etc., correct? Walking through, walking through, like, a, an Egyptian landscape oh, wow. towards the Sphinx. Pyramid okay, Sphinx. it's the Egypt, but, I mean, okay. Yeah. We got it. Do you want to hear, do you wanna hear the, the back? The inside of the last book cover had all four of them spying on the coup hatch, but that didn't happen in this book. Anyway, yes, Jenny, I do want yeah, to hear what's the back. All right, all right, I would just, I, I need, I need the crown, um. Senna. She is the reason David, Christopher, April, and Jaleel even know about Everworld. She is the one who they've been chasing, quote unquote. It's not in quotes, but the it should search be. search for Senna. Yeah, all over this strange parallel world to get some answers, to show them how to get home again, to get back to the real world. They forgot to delete one of those lines. They, were not, they weren't going to use them both, but they forgot. So now it's her turn to tell her side of the story. Oh! Who said Senna book? You are right. I did. I mean, I have read this series before. Maybe I remembered in some way. Um, To explain why she dragged her friends into a world of winged horses and wizards, a place that once only existed in their imaginations. What? What? That's not... Winged horses and wizards... No, they thought it was fake, but it was real. I think that's what it's trying to say. They they never thought Everworld existed in any way, but like no, I but guess like, the you things know, in Everworld. Zeus yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. Zeus and Jupiter weren't really. Yeah. Now it's her turn to explain Everworld. Dot 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 dot. Does this mean we don't yeah. get a fucking third Jaleel book? Because I am furious. They better skip David. Yeah. I'm pissed about this. They better skip. Yeah. Christopher? I hope they kill Christopher. No, they're so invested in Christopher's, like, arc. They won't skip him. Ugh. Yeah. Okay, so ending on an April book, that's okay. Not getting a third Jaleel book, not okay. I am angry. All right, who is losing their book? What if they're just all Santa books from now on? I actually would love that. Let's let's hope we never have to deal with any of these kids again. And she's just going to oh, start man. from scratch and tell a whole different story. And we're not yeah, we'll get Senna. <laughs> then we'll get, like, I, Mr. I have, Hetwan, yeah. you know, Hetwan number 22 or something. I have, an, uh, I have another prediction. Oh and it's the final three books are going to work together as a trilogy. Mm. Work, quote unquote. Yeah, I was going to say, that's... Okay, skeptical. I have a prediction question for you guys. I just turned open to the first page. Okay. It starts when Senna is seven years old. Uh, and her mother says she's going away, which is weird because I thought she was four. But she was okay. young. What the? Yeah, okay. she was four. Who cares? Whatever. Who knows? All right. It turns out Senna is not exactly her name. What do you guys think it is? Elsa. Santa. Senet. Sienna. S e n n e t. Like the goddess. Sienna. But she can't pronounce it right when she tells her new family. I Wait, like, what do you say, Meg? Sienna, like the color. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But I can't... like Senate. I think I think Gray I think Gray nailed it. Senate like like S E N A T E or you spelled it differently. What was it? I spelled E-T. it differently, but 
Yeah, that one. Like too. the like Congress. No, Senator. I meant not that, but I, sure. Is her name Senator? <laughs> I'm gonna guess Senna Senna Bobana. <laughs> All right, what is it? Bold of you to leave off the banana fana fo fana. You guys will just have to wait until you read the book. No, come on. Jenny, no. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> Jenny. Oh. <laughs> Should we wrap for the day next yeah. time? I think oh, we should. Great to see you yeah. all. Oh, it's nice oh. to see you. Happy Pie Day. That's when we're recording this. Happy Pie Day. Happy pie day. Have what some a great pie. point. I, I don't have any pie. What about the pizza? Make a pie. Pizza pie. <gasps> I'm going to have some pizza. Ted, you're so brilliant. Thank goodness. Okay, that's what I'm having for dinner. I was going to make beans. If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Do we not sign off? I thought we had a sign off. Okay.